Zion Tevet, Tafshin, Ayin Chet, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
What a great way to start the show. Pugi Lahakat Kaveret with their classic Yoya performed live. And uh, as recorded on the album Pugi's last concert performance. Welcome one and all. Welcome into this week's edition of the Israel Show. We are here live. That's right. We are live. Thank God. We are live and live as we are each and every week immediately after JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern, 4 PM Israel time around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time that we are on. And of course, you can listen to us whenever you want. That's right. On demand via the Nachum Siegel Network app, which is available for free in the App Store and the Play Store. And um, also via the Nachum Siegel Network website, nachumsiegel.com, as uh, are all the great programs of the Nachum Siegel Network. Did I say my name is Mayor Wagon? I think I did. Thank you so much for joining us, making us part of your week. We have great stuff coming up. We have new music by Yahuram Gaon, who will sing a song that was written by and composed the lyrics and the melody written by Talma Aliagon Rose. Now, that name may not be familiar to a lot of you, but I'll tell you this. If you know the song Eretz Tzvi, the famous song about the Entebbe raid, about Yoni Netanyahu and later about uh, Rui Klein, then uh, that was written by Talma Eliagon Rose. So understand that that was a great partnership, and uh, we have a new addition, addition to that partnership with the song uh, today, Ruach Al Duna, uh, Wind on the Sand Dunes. It's it's beautiful. We'll give you an update about the UN. Vote about Yerushalayim, about uh, the uh, Yerushalayim as capital of Israel issue. And just before we uh, came on the air last week, there was a story that broke in a website called Politico, a news website. A huge research. I mean, you're talking about, I don't know, 40 pages easily, which um, is pretty long for uh, today's world of Internet articles, about... A frightening, frightening cover-up. No, it's not really a cover-up. I shouldn't say it's a cover-up. It's a frightening uh, obstruction of the President of the United States. Not this one, no, no. Previous one, President Obama obstructing the DEA's um, campaign against Hezbollah. It's, it is, it, you'll be appalled. You'll be frightened. You'll be shocked. You, uh, you'll be speechless. All of the above. And um, there's another part to it, not just the part that appeared in the in the research in the um, in the article, which we'll post a link to that article on our Facebook page. It's very long. I, I got to admit that I haven't read all of it yet, but I've read a lot of summaries. Um, but um, if you read it, you'll see it's documented with names and copies of documents and everything. This is not some anonymous source saying anything. This, uh, you want to talk about collusion with Russia, collusion with terrorism, collusion with Iran. This is just, I don't know. I, I don't know why the world is not up in arms. Well, I guess I do. Uh, we'll tell you about that. We'll tell you about the, um, a little bit about the rain situation in Israel, which is creating a lot of problems. And uh, we have lots of uh, great music, as we are about to play for you right now. This is Ehud Banai with a cover of the Shlomo Kalbach. Classic Hashmi'ini et Kolech. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. (laughs) 
Ehud Banai, off of the album Shir Chadash, with the cover of Rup Shlomo's Hashmi Iniet Kolech. I believe it's on Rup Shlomo Kabach's first album ever, one of the earliest, earliest songs uh, that he put out. Well, yeah, last week we spoke at length about the uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel news item and the brave, bold move by the President of the United States, President Trump, who announced not only that America is recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which would have been just a, um, you know, words, so to speak, you know, could be considered idle chatter, maybe. But no, 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 the President of the United States went well beyond that, and he said that the United States will move its embassy to Jerusalem, and that he's told the State Department to do so. Um, and that is uh, fantastic, as we all have mentioned and spoken about and, and celebrated. Since then, since then, what happened? The UN, in its in its insanity, in the crazed world, it, it's sort of bizarre world that it lives in, the UN passed a resolution considering the United States announcement to be null and void. That, that's amazing. It's like the UN... A bunch of dictatorships, um, they're going to tell the United States of America where they should consider the capital of Israel. It's like, it's it's rather amazing. But nothing should shock us about the UN at this point. No, 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 nothing should. Um, what happened after that vote? Now, a couple of things. First of all, the vote, which was obviously lopsided, but it was a little less lopsided than usual, and more countries abstained rather than voting against Israel than usual. And that is, you know, everyone looks at the vote itself and, and sees the numbers and, and gets upset by them. But the truth is that there is some positive in that vote, and that we see, in addition, I think it was nine who voted against, or 12 or something like that, against 100 and whatever, um, we see that 35 countries, I'm sorry, tw- 21 just didn't show up, and 35 abstained. That's 56 countries plus those who voted with Israel, so that's over 60. That's a pretty good number for Israel and the UN, all things considered. So, obviously, there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes by Israel, but more so by the United States in pressuring, because they have what to pressure with, and pressuring countries to uh, not automatically vote against Israel. As a result of that pressure, as a result of other maneuvers by the United States, some countries have announced and are going to announce that they too will move their embassy to Jerusalem. You should know, many people forget this, in 1980, there were 13 embassies in Jerusalem. At that point, it was Menachem Begin's government who passed a law, it was called the Jerusalem Law, I'm not sure what it accomplished. It was it was mainly a proclamation to proclaim that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, all of Jerusalem, and so forth. Um, and at that point, as a response, as a protest to that law, the 13 countries that did have embassies in Jerusalem moved them all to Tel Aviv. And now, 
at this point, nobody has an embassy. They have consulates in, in Jerusalem, but not embassies. That means they, they're not considering Jerusalem as the capital. So yesterday, Guatemala, that's right, Guatemala announced that it will be moving its embassy to Jerusalem when the United States moves theirs. And there are, there are a lot of leaks and a lot of uh, talks about two other countries that will also be moving their um, their embassies, that will be announcing, hopefully, that uh, they're going to be moving their embassies. Let's see. Uh, Honduras and Paraguay. Now, oh, you're going to say, well, you know, come on, please. No, these are countries. That's the way it works. I, I believe that one of the Eastern European countries already announced that it will be recognizing Israel as the capital. Was it Poland? I don't remember. But that's how it works. I mean, you do it one at a time. Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, is is traveling all over the world, all over the world, um, to uh, create or or recreate the relationships that Israel had with different countries in Africa, in Eastern Europe, in uh, India, for example, and so on. And these relationships will grow as Israel becomes the uh, the powerful economic, uh, a high-tech, if you will, a center in, in, the, in the Middle East, for sure, and, and definitely even in the world. So this is the beautiful thing that's happening, and the, this slow recognition of the rest of the world, that Israel is a force for positive things. Uh, Israel is not the terrible country that the media or the Arab world will have you through the media believe. Um, this changes attitudes. And so it's a good thing. Yesterday, the U.S. also announced, this is great, it's cutting $285 million in U.N. funding. And that's probably nothing compared to what their total funding in the U.N. is, but it's, it's an important point to make. And the point is, the U.S. is a world power if it wants to be. We don't need to hide our intentions and our wishes and our wills. The previous president, President Obama, made it very clear he doesn't want there to be U.S. power that will have a say on the on the world scene. He didn't want it. And when he did use it, he used it for evil, as we will see in a moment. President Trump is saying... No, we have the power. We have the economic power. We can place sanctions. We can take away funding from the UN. You don't want to. You want to tell us where to put our embassy? Okay, you can do it with your money. We don't have to give you ours. I'm going to play for you a clip. I hope this clip is going viral. And uh, you know, when I was thinking about it. CNN is is hardly a friend of ours. A friend of Israel, a friend of the pro-Israel forces in the world. But when they do good, you got to give them credit. Jake Tapper, one of the better journalists at CNN, I must say, as far as this, a little more even-handed than the rest, did a um, about a three-minute segment on um, the UN vote, which took place last week, uh, declaring the United States 
<laughs> declaration that Jerusalem is its capital. The UN is is saying that that declaration of the United States is null and void. They're not recognizing it as if they're going to stop the United States from recognizing Jerusalem or from moving its embassy. But, you know, that's the way the UN works. They had an emergency session of the General Assembly. I think there have only been, there have been less than 10 in the entire history of the United Nations, and I think eight of them. We're about, we're about Israel, something like that. Emergency. It's, it was a, it's an emergency session, obviously. Here is Jake Tapper. This is a, a really, really fantastic clip. It should go. We're going to post it on our Facebook page after the show, and you should share it. It, it. If it hasn't gone viral yet, this must go viral because this really says it all. I hope that you uh, listen carefully. He brings you the facts right in your face. Enjoy this uh, clip. Jake Tapper on CNN last week. Remember yesterday how United States Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley said the U.S. would be taking names of countries that supported a resolution critical of the Trump administration's decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital? Well, let's hope Haley brought a lot of pens and paper because 128 countries voted against the United States today, many of them U.S. allies. Only nine countries voted with the U.S. There were 35 abstentions. Among the 128 countries that voted to condemn the U.S. on this issue were some countries with some rather questionable records of their own. Take Venezuela's representative today. The world is not for sale. The world is not for sale and your threats imperil global peace. The U.S. imperils global peace, says the representative of Venezuela, a country in a humanitarian disaster with violence in the streets, an economy in complete collapse, citizens malnourished, dying children being turned away from hospitals, starving families joining street gangs to scrounge for food. On what moral platform does the government of Venezuela stand today? Not to be outdone, of course, the U.S. also got an earful today from... Syria. We're in the seventh year of the brutal Syrian civil war that has killed half a million people and displaced millions. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad has used chemical weapons against his own citizens, including children. Also feeling a bit preachy to get today, Yemen, which helped draft the resolution condemning the U.S. Seemingly more focused, at least during the speech, on where the U.S. puts its embassy in Israel than on the seven million Yemenis on the brink of starvation in that country's civil war. In light of the sensitive circumstances that our region is experiencing and which constitute a threat to international peace and security. Yemen concerned with stability in the region. Interesting. There are plenty of policies and actions that are perfectly valid to criticize about the United States and about Israel. And certainly whether this move will help the peace process in any way seems one of them. But listening to these countries, including North Korea and Myanmar and Turkey and China lecturing the United States in any way about human rights and peace might seem a bit much. But here is a bit of context that you might not know. According to UN Watch, which monitors the United Nations, the United Nations General Assembly from 2012 through 2015 has adopted 97 resolutions specifically criticizing an individual country. And of those 97, 83 of them have focused on Israel. That is 86%. Now, certainly Israel is not above criticism, but considering the genocide of the Rohingya people in Myanmar, the lack of basic human rights in North Korea, the children starving in the streets of Venezuela, the citizens of Syria targeted for murder by their own leader using the most grotesque and painful of weapons, you have to ask, is Israel truly deserving of 86% of the world's condemnation? Or possibly is something else afoot at the United Nations, something that allows the representative of the Assad government 
to lecture the United States for moving its embassy. שולי רנד, לא תדעי כמה. I think the name of the album is Mayim Metukim. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Segal Network. So this broke just before we went to air last week. We mentioned it at passing. And um, you would think that the world would be, let's say, uh, in, a, in, a, in a tizzy. The world would be consumed by this story. And basically, if you, if you bring it to the, to the bottom line of the story, here's how I would wrap it up. The story alleges that President Obama, by way of obstruction of work of the federal government and federal agents was one of the largest funders of terrorism in the world. I'll let that sink in. It, it shouldn't shock you. 
Remember, this is the same President Obama who sent a plane to Iran, and on the plane was over a billion, with a B, dollars in cash, in cash, which Iran can then take and give to Hezbollah and to Hamas and to every other terror organization that it supports. And being that it's in cash, nobody can follow it. And now this new revelation in a very long article, 14,000 word report on on the website Politico, and that is not a right-wing website. That is more of a left-wing website than you can imagine. They come out with this report, which is fully documented, with sources named, who worked in the federal government. And basically this report, this, this story says that over a period of eight years, federal agents conducted undercover operations that aimed to chart and then eventually shut down Hezbollah's massive criminal enterprise. There were 30 U.S. and foreign security agencies that got together and helped with this campaign. They called it Project Cassandra. And it tracked the Hezbollah's using cocaine trafficking in order to create huge, huge profits, which then went to the Hezbollah and to fund their terrorist activities. This is Hezbollah. They just want to kill Israel and take it over. They're not even ashamed to say it. This Project Cassandra uncovered a money laundering operation which was washing $200 million a month. And part of what it was doing was taking cocaine from Latin America and bringing it into the United States. And then selling it for great profit and then laundering the money through a whole huge scheme involving a sale of used cars in Africa. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. The federal agents say that the origins of this criminal conspiracy were in the innermost circle of Hezbollah and its state sponsors in Iran. So here, Israel, for sure, as covered in the book, Harpoon by Nitzana Darshan Leitner. If you haven't read it, go find it and read it. It's amazing. Israel is working hard to stop the funding, to dry out the terrorist funding of Hezbollah. And President Obama and his administration are aiding and abetting and allowing the funding of Hezbollah and Iran to continue. Directly and indirectly. It's... I mean, does it not make you nauseous that this was what the United States were doing now? Here's what the report says. The Obama administration intentionally sabotaged Project Cassandra by throwing increasingly insurmountable series of roadblocks in its way. Remember now that the Justice Department of President Obama was nothing more than a political tool. I mean, the Justice Department... it's sickening how the Justice Department during President Obama's reign became a total political tool and nobody in the media said a word. That is our biggest problem. I have to say, our biggest problem is 
that we have people with the mindset of President Obama for sure, but that the media that is supposed to be the watchdog does nothing. We'll get back to that in a minute. And by refusing to help and by putting these roadblocks on, uh, in, in the way of this, um, this uh, campaign, this Project Cassandra, the Obama administration allowed Hezbollah to traffic huge quantities of cocaine into the United States and allowed hundreds of millions of dollars to flow from the U.S. to this terrorist organization. And it also reports that President Obama colluded with Russian President Vladimir Putin. There's documented collusion here. You understand that we've been hearing about collusion with Russia, collusion with Russia about President Trump, and they haven't found anything And here in this report says that Obama colluded with Russian President Vladimir Putin to release Lebanese terrorist Ali Fayyad, who was responsible for the death of Americans. As a result of the uh, Obama administration's decision, quote, I'm quoting now from the report, some Hezbollah operatives were not pursued via arrests, indictments, or treasury designations that would have blocked their access to U.S. financial markets, And this is according to um, Treasury officials who came out and and revealed this information. So one of the most important things, Israel has discovered this, one of the most important things to stop terrorism, we claim we want to stop terrorism, is to stop the money flow. And here for eight years, the Obama administration was not only providing Iran with money, not only allowing Iran now to do business with the rest of the world, taking away the sanctions and signing a ridiculous deal, but they looked aside and made sure nothing happened to this huge money laundering campaign that Hezbollah was was using in order to bring hundreds of millions of dollars to their terrorist activities. It's, It's beyond comprehension. David Asher, who helped establish and oversee Project Cassandra as a Defense Department illicit finance analyst, testified before Congress and says, quote, it represented the largest material support scheme for terrorism operations the world had ever seen. And the Obama administration allowed this to happen. This is the allegation. In addition, by the way, remember one thing, that on top of everything else, this is allowing drugs to come into the United States in the hundreds of millions of dollars a month. We have a war on drugs, we have a war on terrorism, but no, doesn't seem so. If you go to the bank today, after 9-11, I should say, there are very strict rules. Very, very strict rules because they want to make sure that money isn't being used for terrorism. Oh, you can't take, you can't cash a check anymore in a bank. You can't really put cash into the bank more than a certain amount of money. And if you put in more than a certain amount of money, there's so many, so much paperwork that the bank has to carry out that they charge you a fee for depositing cash into your account. And if you want to take cash out of your account, you have to write a check. It's because we have to have a clear paper trail of all the cash going in and going out. Because we need to keep tabs on the terrorism. 
under terrorists. How ridiculous all that seems now in wake of what we are learning. Our dear friend, listener, and advisor, and everything else, Benji Kramer, by Benji Kramer, pointed out to me this morning that I often quote uh, Andrew Claven calling the New York Times a former newspaper. The New York Times did not carry this story until the end of last week, and the only thing it wrote about was the fact that Attorney General Jeff Sessions on Friday ordered a review of the Obama administration's handling of the DEA's program targeting drug trafficking by Iranian-backed Hezbollah, and has a short story, maybe three, four paragraphs. And by the way, this isn't even a New York Times story. The New York Times is bringing the Associated Press uh, um, story item, quote, verbatim, they're not even having their own reporter write about it. And as of the end of last week, probably until Jeff Sessions announced the investigation, ABC, CBS, NBC, the three major networks that run news programs that by far the overwhelming majority of Americans get their news from, didn't mention it even once. They'll tell you all about the Russian collusion campaign against Trump. They'll tell you all about the, the, the Congress hearing, the congressional hearings and the CIA and the FBI and all this intrigue and all this craziness of which nothing, nothing, nothing is, is going to come of it. Here and there where it was mentioned, like NPR and other places, their, their discussion was basically, well, this has been alleged, but Members of the Obama administration said it's not true. I don't know what to say. There are two things. One is to realize how horrific the Obama administration was. In fact, going back to the Yerushalayim issue for a moment, there's a very interesting article. You could um, uh, Google, um, if, if, I, if I can, I'll post it on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. If not, just Google Alan Dershowitz, Jerusalem, capital of Israel, or something like that. Alan Dershowitz writes that a year ago, at the end of the Obama administration, President Obama passed that horrific UN um, UN vote. He, he ordered the United States not to veto a UN vote, which was very, very anti-Israel, and in part one of the things was um, questioned Israel's uh, right to Yerushalayim in general. And he says, if not for that, he would not support the United States move now to declare Jerusalem the capital and move the embassy. But as a result of that, he thinks it is important to, and he supported uh, President Trump. It's amazing, Alan Dershowitz supported President Trump uh, on this. And he writes in that article that the only reason that President Obama supported that UN decision was because he wanted to get back. It was revenge of a lame duck president, a revenge against Benjamin Netanyahu, who, according to Dershowitz, he hated. Matt, that says a lot, right? So that gives you an idea of where we were at with the President of the United States. 
how the Justice Department was nothing more than a tool of the President of the United States and the politics that he wanted to uh, to move forward. But more importantly, I think above and beyond everything that we can say, the media in this country and around the world, they are the ones who set the agenda. They seep into our consciousness. They repeat over and over and over. They are really tools of, of psychological brainwashing. There's no question about this. And it could be used for good and it could be used for bad or it could be neutral. On some level, at least, try to be neutral. And unless we start realizing that we need to make major changes, meaning we need to get people of conservative viewpoints into the media, it'll take time. It happened in Israel and is happening in Israel. It took a generation, but it worked. So that the media becomes a little more fair and you suddenly hear the other side of the story. If a story like this can be totally squashed by the, by the media in the United States, it's insane. It's off the, whatever radar it was on, it's going to be off unless it's the Department of Justice, which is now doing, doing the job on the other side, they can bring this hopefully forward to some extent the media feels they have no choice but to cover it. It's it's just um, we have to start focusing more and more of our attention on the media, not just calling it out. It's not enough to call out the media. We need to really look carefully into our ability to raise a generation of young men and women who can contribute in media and who are coming out of our viewpoint on Israel doesn't have to be all the way one, one-sided, one but surely be a situation where we don't just accept certain uh, themes and certain, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, slogans that the media use. Oh, the two-state solution. Just you heard it over and over and over again to the point that most people will just say, oh, yes, the two-state solution. Oh, this will uh, spark violence. If America does this, it sparks violence. They just say these slogans. Nobody's thinking what's behind them. Don't know what we need to do. I don't know how we can do it. Can we open a a journalism division? Maybe there is one at Yeshiva University and at other uh, places. Can Can we get people from our community with more conservative viewpoint to consider journalism as a real option for their livelihood? I don't know. Let's think about it. Brand new music by Yehoram Gaon, Words and Melody, by Talma Al-Yagon Rose, as we mentioned, she's the one who wrote Eretz Tzvi, and this is called Ruach al Wind on the Sand Dunes. The wind on the sand dunes like paints the dreams that it remembers. I'm sorry, paints, draws pictures, remembers dreams. That it's possible to be different. If we have the will in our heart. 
the wind on the sand dunes that shifts the sands and creates beautiful pictures and stories. Ech beruach tzatacharet with a little bit of a different spirit, a different wind, playing words of ruach. Kan mukemet letiferet. Here in Eretz Yisrael, in Israel, we are building chelkat elokim ktana, a little piece of God's world, a little piece of Gan Eden. Um, Yehoram Gaon, debuting, just released, debuting it here on the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Well, you probably heard it here first. Brand new music debuting on the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yehoram Gaon. Ruach. What was it called? I had it here a minute ago. Ruach al I think. Yes, Ruach al Duna is a sand dune, as you might imagine from the word. Um, a few words on, uh, let's see, we have enough time? Yeah, I think we'll have enough time. So let me just, a uh, couple of things. First of all, going back for a moment to the Jerusalem, um, the, the U.S. recognition of Jerusalem as uh, the capital of Israel, moving of the embassy, a letter was written by uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, a Jew, on December the 1st, to President Donald Trump, I write today to urge you to reject calls to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Yeah, what has changed over the generations that we seem to be our own worst enemies? And why does she say this? Listen, doing so would spark violence. Oh my, it's so quiet now in the Middle East, or it was before this. It was just, it, it was paradise. It was a utopia. And we notice now how much violence has been sparked by this. It's, it's, the media is looking for the violence, and they, it, it, it's hard to find. It'll further alienate the United States. <laughs> the great Satan, it's going to further alienate them. It'll, they'll become the greatest Satan. And undermine the prospects of a two-state solution. I think, Diane Feinstein, Senator Feinstein, I think you might forget that there really is no prospect for a two-state solution, and it's not because of Israel. And then later in the letter, ugh, recall, she writes, Senator Feinstein does, that the second intifada, which killed thousands, was sparked by Ariel Sharon's visit to the Temple Mount. I mean... A senator in the United States, a Jewish senator no less, from California, should should continue that canard, that lie, lie, it's been proven to be a lie, that Ariel Sharon's visit to the quote-unquote Temple Mount, to the Har Habayit, is what sparked the Intifada. It's just ridiculous. Okay, a few words about um, the, the rain situation in Israel. So... This summer, this winter has been a very bad winter for rains in Israel. Those of you who are not aware, Israel has a very, well, Israel has a unique, I should say, climate, almost unique. It does not rain in Israel in the summer. It only rains in the winter. It rains from around Sukkot time till a, a little before Pesach time. That's the rainy season. So much of our Jewish calendar is based on that. That's when... The crops grow, that's when the aquifers fill. And if it doesn't rain in the winter time, then then it's trouble. Then then in the olden days, then there would be a famine like we read about in, in the Parshiot uh, of these weeks, where Avram and Yitzchak and eventually Yaakov and Bnei Yisrael go out of Israel. Well, Yitzchak doesn't leave Israel, but they have to go somewhere to find food because there's a famine. Why is there a famine? Because there was no rain in the winter, and the crops didn't grow. So, over the generations, we have 
Surely in our tefilot, we say, Mashiv HaRuach Murid HaGeshem during this period, we say V'ten Talmatar during this period, and in the summertime we say other things because it doesn't rain. Um, so everything, the whole economy in the olden days, and, and in our days, the, the fate of the agricultural produce is all dependent on rain. And the Torah specifically tells us this in Dvarim, Parakut Aleph, we know the end of it. The beginning of it, it says, Keep all the mitzvot that I am commanding you, so that you'll be strong and you'll come into the land of Israel and you'll inherit the land. That you stay on the land for, for a long time and not be thrown out. The land that was promised by God to your forefathers, for them and their children and their offspring, land of milk and honey. And here is where the Torah specifically is telling us about the issue of rain. And as uh, just understand that Egypt, which is where the Jews were coming from, has no rain issue. They have water supply in plenty. There's a huge river called the Nile. And it flows. It never dries up. And if anybody wants to water their, their garden, all they got to do is create a little uh, a furrow to bring the water, a channel, if you will, to bring the water from the Nile to their, to their uh, piece of, of land. The water is plentiful. But in the land of Israel, the water is scarce. And it all depends on the rains in the winter. And so, what God is about to tell us now in the Torah is that unlike Egypt, where everything, the water was there, and all you had to do in order to water your field was kick kick uh, um, the ground and make a little channel, with you, which you could do with your foot, and the water will be plentiful. In Eretz Yisrael, it's not. And you need God's blessing of rain. And as a result... God is totally connected to the Jewish people in the, in the land of Israel through their need for the rain. That all you have to do is kick it with your, with your foot. But, the vav here is a but, but the land that you're, vav any good, the land that you are, coming to Eretz Harimuv Kaot Limtar HaShemayim Tishtemayim It needs the rain from the heavens in order to be uh, satiated, in order for the ground to, to be filled Eretz Asher, and therefore it has it needs God's blessing all the time Eretz Asher HaShem Elokecha Doresho Tatamid Enei HaShem Elokecha Ba Merishit HaShanav Achrit Shana It's a famous Pasuk, but it's talking about the specific shot in this Pasuk is that God you need God to be watching all the time so that you get the proper amount of rain in the right season. And then this next psukim are the ones that we know so well. This whole second part of Kriyat Shema is all about that. It's a continuation of the, the, the introduction of it is 
God watches over the land of Israel and brings rain, and it can't work any other way. That's why God has to be watching all the time, and that's why this whole first part of, uh, of the second part of Kriyat Shema, the beginning of it, is all about the rain and, uh, and the fields blossoming and the bounty coming forth and so forth. And then, Hishamru Lachem, and be careful, because if not, and God will stop the rain. So, um, there have been hardly any rains this winter. It's a Shnad Batsoret, it's called. So, uh, this Thursday, which is a Sarabat Tevet, it's a fast day, the rabbis, the farmers, the Sarah Haklaut, Secretary of Agriculture of Israel, Uri Ariel, are calling for a mass prayer gathering at the Kotel. And uh, my thought is that I hope that in all the Jewish communities around the world, we will join in our spirit with them, in our prayers, with them, with the people of Israel, and that we should have mass prayer gatherings to pray that the people of Israel get the rain that they need. It's only in the hands of God. That's one of those things we always say. Weather is one of those things that God's doesn't, God doesn't let man conquer the weather because, you know, there's got to be something that's still up to God, right? And um, it's totally unpredictable because it's totally in the hands of God. And we oftentimes find ourselves protesting things that happened in the land of Israel. Let us do the positive and um, pray together in great numbers for the people of Israel on this Thursday, Asarab Tevet, and continue to say in our tefillot, Mashiv HaRuach, Murid HaGeshem, V'tein Talumatar, with added force, kavana, spirit, and strength, and let us hope that our prayers are heard and are answered in the positive. We're going to end up with an appropriate song, Mitriot, Umbrellas. Before we do that, we thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. My very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollock and Seth Gordon with After Further Review, covering the latest in the world of sports, and then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. מטריות מקופלות יעברו מיד ליד כמו מגינים למול החורף ולחורף לא אכפת נעליים נכנסיים עקבים בשלוליות מנגן את התזמורת של מוכר המטריות הטיפות הראשונות עוד נופלות אחת אחת אחרי המבול שיגיע עוד מעט ממכרים פזורי משמעת מכוונים את העיריות מנגן את התזמורת של מוכר המטריות Thank <laughs> you.
שטויות מקובלות יעברו מיד ליד כמו נגינים למול החורף ולחורף לא יכפת לעיניו של שר הגשם הפורץ בצחוק רועם אנשים הולכים עם אוהל הנפתח מעליהם אל תישאר בלי כלום, כל אחד צריך לשמור מה שהוא ליום גשום. קח לך אחת, פתח לך אחת, אין מה חסר Again. Okay.